Hello, fellow nerds. Check out our network site, nerdsloth.com. You can also connect with us on social media like the Facebook, the Twitter, and the Instagram. If you like what you hear, look for Nerdsloth on Patreon and consider donating to help us continue delivering quality shows straight to your ears. If you'd like to help the shows out for free, head over to iTunes and write a heartfelt review. I mean it. Make me cry happy tears. But seriously, though, anything you can do really helps us out and we love you for it. Everybody. Welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I have a very special guest today. Without hyperbole, the man I'm speaking to today is one of my favorite drummers. His credits include, well, Poison the Well, which many of you may know him uh, best by, and which he is actually a founding member of that band. He's also played with Big Black Delta, and he's currently the drummer for another one of my favorites, Census Fail, who hail from my home state in New Jersey. Please welcome Chris Hornbrook. Chris, how are you, buddy? Good, man. How are you, Adrian? I'm doing great. When the opportunity arose to speak to you, I couldn't say yes fast enough because, if I may, I'm, I'm a very big fan of your work. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. I appreciate the very grandiose intro. I, uh, it was very <laughs> kind of you. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's just to me only because one thing I've always appreciated about your work and of Poison the Well in particular is that there was a lot of metalcore, post-hardcore during that era that I've enjoyed, but... You know, it was pretty standard, you know, verse, chorus, verse, breakdown, that type of thing. I've always enjoyed that music, but what was great about Poison the Well was, with each album, you guys have always found a way to subvert the genre, to take a very nonlinear path to both songwriting and to song structure, and and you particularly is rhythm. And I had never really heard too many bands that sounded like that. And especially when it came to You Come Before You, I thought it was actually pretty awesome how the majority of the songs started out with, of course, your drum beats, because they were so very pronounced, so very heavy in a way that I never really thought of prior to that. First and foremost, of course, thank you for that. But at the same time, I don't know if you wanted to get into a little bit of, I guess, your structure and how, I guess, as you guys progressed, you know, how your songwriting kind of came to be, because obviously from the opposite of December up until the Tropic Rot, the band took a very different direction, which I know was a a little contentious for some, but I actually appreciated it. Well, that's awesome, man. I I appreciate your appreciation for what we were trying to do. I guess to start, because every record obviously has its own story. But I, I guess a sort of way to explain the overall view we had, because it never really changed regardless of who was in the band at the time or not. It was always the idea of just trying to get better at playing, get better at songwriting, get better at uh, arranging. It was just trying to push the envelope of what we could do as musicians and, and more so as like a, as a collective. So that was always the, the sort of a collective goal. Now, obviously, you know, that filters down everybody, each individual dude had their own aspirations, and then we just kind of would bring those to the table. Every record, drum-wise, had kind of like a little bit of a different goal for myself, and that goal may not be the same that Derek had, or that Ryan had, or that Jeff had, or our bass player Brad had. So yeah, I mean, each individual record, I guess, musically was more reflective of what we were into at the time. So obviously, the younger you are, with like say like distance and uh opposite 
those records are very heavily influenced by, you know, hardcore at the time, like late, late nineties, mid nineties, even early nineties, maybe even into the late eighties hardcore, you know, each individual dude had their own particular genre that resonated the most with them. And then as we kind of developed a little bit of popularity and were able to sort of put out records and tour and do that, then the the doors kind of opened and there were a few dudes that sort of were more of the progressive element in terms of taking in new music. You know, Derek was very, very big in that. Derek was always on top of what was new, what was out, um, very forward thinking when it came to that sort of stuff. So for me, he always kind of had new music for me to listen to. And some of it I was into and some of it I wasn't. But he was always just kind of thinking about that stuff and he was really, really into it. And he, he helped a lot, obviously, with, with Tear, You Go Before You, and Opposite. You know, he was a very, 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 very big part of those records. But yeah, as we kind of pushed, you know, the taste had changed. It moved away from maybe our contemporaries or maybe hardcore. You know, we always had the staple bands that we listened to. But towards the end of the band, I could at least speak for myself that the majority of music that I, I was listening to is not heavy music. But I could take what I was listening to and sort of uh, co-opt the things that I really enjoyed about it and then sort of channel that into what we did with Poison Well, which I think helped the band always be a little bit different than what was going on popularity-wise. And obviously what you had said, that was sort of contentious for some people, you know, very polarizing in either direction. And I look at that as, I think if you're making music and, and it's uh, you get more of like a lukewarm reaction, then um, you're not doing it correctly. You know, I think if people really despise what you do or really love what you do, you're invoking some sort of a reaction. And that's more important than just kind of a blah reaction. Absolutely. And that's a, a great way to phrase it. And, you know, I think about You Come Before You because I started at Terra from the Red. I forget the name of the song. One of them had was on the Warp Tour compilation. Uh, I think that was the 2003 comp. Yeah, yeah. And I started there and worked my way backwards. So at the time I was, you know, a teenager and whatnot and oh, yeah. kind of being a little bit of a jerk with my music where not really understanding what it really meant for the creators. So then I remember being at a, a Best Buy and buying You Come Before You just pretty much sight unseen. So I'm like, look, I like these guys like the other stuff. I'm just going to pick this up. I'm yeah. going to go with it. When I first heard it and I thought it was interesting because that was also uh, your first major label uh, album. Yeah. Yeah. So then listening to the music and I'm thinking to myself, this is not necessarily what you would hear on a major label, especially for heavy music. And I thought that was very interesting because, like you said, like these songs kind of played out a lot differently and it was more considered what be progressive rock. And while it was heavy, there was also a lot of melody involved to be on a major label, but also to have freedom of expression if you will because that album was just very non-linear in a way very poetic in terms of how songs played out we were fortunate enough to have built up enough traction with opposite and tear because at the time you know records used to sell a little bit more right and you know our popularity from going on tours and just kind of being out there really helped us when atlantic came to the table and we started you know just talking with them about doing a deal we had way more room to negotiate because we did have a following because we, we were able to sort of shift units. You know what I mean? I think at the time, Terror had done close to 50,000 records and then Opposite was a little bit more difficult to track because there was a lot of records in the beginning that weren't really sound scanned. But I think, if I remember correctly at the time, it had probably done twenty or 30,000 records. So collectively, we were selling, you know, between all the records, between seven and 80,000 records. For a major label to come in and see that, I mean, I'm sure they saw the potential for us to sort of, uh, you know, 
we already had a built-in base. We were already shifting units. You know, if they came in behind us with the machine and pushed a little bit, that you know we could sort of uh, jump to a higher level, which we did a little bit. I mean, I think to this day, you could, before you sold around 130,000 records. Now, you know, in major label terms, that's really not that great. But for us, it was great because we essentially doubled what Tear from the Red did. But that's just sort of numbers. In terms of co- like coming to the table and being able to do what we want, like I said, because we had a following, it was easier for us to say, hey, this is the type of record that we want to write. And this is the guys that we want to do it with. And these are the studios that we want to record with. And they really didn't bother us too much because of our prior track record. Right. Where it kind of started getting weird was on what was supposed to be record two on Atlantic, which inevitably became versions. You know, they want us to sort of, quote unquote, play ball more. And uh, we weren't, as a collective unit, really willing to do that because that meant we were going to make creative concessions. And when we kind of signed it on the dotted line with Atlantic, we had the understanding that we were going to do what we wanted to do. If we knew that they were going to kind of start interfering on record two, we probably would have went to a very large independent label and completely sidestepped having to do the uh, the major thing. So that's kind of how we were able to kind of make that record and, and not be typically what was put out on a major label, you know, to its detriment and to its benefit, because obviously we're still talking about the record was this we're going into year 12, 13, something like that. People still care about it, which I'm, I'm, you know, I, I think I can speak for everybody involved with the creation of that record. We're all immensely grateful. You know, it's very rare that you can make one record that people give a shit about. And to different people, we've made a few. So we're all really, really, really grateful for that. You know, I'm, I'm very grateful for that because, you know, I see how it is these days. Like music is very cookie cutter and it's very, um, you know, here today, gone tomorrow. Things move so quickly since technology and our society is just moving faster and faster and faster. And, and I feel like music is uh, definitely a part of that, you know? You come before you definitely change my perception of what heavy music could be. You know, and I think it's interesting that as, you know, you mentioned numbers because uh, as a label, you know, major label especially, that's usually what it comes down to. And I'm not going to sit there and, you know, make a whole big rant about majors in that regard, because I guess they do serve a purpose in some way. But to be able to do that type of album on a major label, I think in a way, and maybe this is, of course, with some time removed from it, we saw that it was necessary to kind of show that hardcore or heavy music or metal, whichever label we're going to put on it, can be different than what it was. And, you know, you mentioned, of course, well, with versions... And I know at the time that was when um, Derek had uh, left the band, which personally speaking, you know, that was definitely a very confusing time because I was wondering, well, are they going to still be together? Well, there was a little period of time where we were uncertain of where we could go. But the very fortunate thing about Poison the Wall is that the band's sound came from the way Ryan, you know, Ryan, our other guitar player, the sound of the band came from him, melodically speaking. Obviously, you know, Jeff wrote his melodies and I played the way I played, and we all sort of navigated the song, but those chord structures, those weird, really heavy, but very melodic voicing that came from the guitar, those those came from him. Derek just kind of co-opted it into his own way of playing and way of writing. So that's obviously not saying anything disparaging against Derek at all, because Derek wrote some really great stuff, and he had really fucking amazing ideas. But we figured that we could continue going on, because the genesis of the band came from Ryan, you know, and I, and I think that was demonstrated in the, the, the two records that followed, regardless if there was an element missing, it still sounded like Poison Well in it. And, and I attribute that completely to the fact that Ryan was still 
very much in the mix with writing. And, you know, if we all had other ideas, melodically speaking, he would kind of come in and he would um, kind of change it to sort of uh, work within the, the, the sort of uh, soundscape of the band. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. You had mentioned that at the time when you were uh, doing those albums, you weren't listening to as much heavy music, and I think that actually helped those albums. I think so, too. You had, you know, obviously evolved as a drummer, and I, I think that's important in any sort of creative endeavor that, you know, you continued on a path that you felt comfortable with, but yet still found a way to incorporate it into the sound of the band. That was really always the goal, kind of take take that in and whatever was kind of happening at the time, whatever I was listening to, that we could kind of go in, or I could go in when we would write a record and approach it from a different point of view. And I'm not, I was never alone in that. I mean, you know, Ryan obviously listens to hardcore and punk, but he, he's a little bit more into sort of old school, old school hardcore, you know, a little bit less metal from what I remember. But he was also very much in the progressive rock and, uh, you know, fusion and jazz. And, you know, he was very wide palette music. As, you know, Derek did as well. Derek had a very large palette. You know, I don't really remember him being into jazz at all, but he, he kind of embodied other things. And I you know was into certain things myself and Jeff was into other things, too. So we all kind of had our own things that we were into that we just brought to the table. I feel like if you listen to your contemporaries and you sort of pander to what's popular, then, yeah, you know, like you might be able to catch a wave or two and get really, really big because, you know, you're writing the sort of general consensus of what's cool and what's going to sell records. But I think to actually do something really different and unique and take a chance, you have to kind of shun that a little bit. And that's kind of what we always did. I mean, when we wrote opposite, I mean, we were listening to sort of um, the heavy stuff of, of the nineties, which wasn't even nearly as popular as what sort of heavy music has become these days, but it was interesting and it was different to us. And, you know, we were just kind of enamored with this sort of heavy music that was coming out of like the Boston area, the New York area, and these like little cool little niche indie labels and like indie hardcore labels. And um, yeah, I mean, it was just fucking fun, you know? That's kind of your career in a nutshell. I mean, I know it's a very kind of cliche thing to say, but, you know, as the saying goes, evolve or die. I mean, you've been playing drums for what's been over 20 years now. And, you know, after Poison a Well went on hiatus. You know, you did some stuff with Big Black Delta. I mean, you've even done drums for uh, Slate Bells and also The Black Queen, which I really kind of wish that that project was, you know, bigger than it was. But I, I know that wasn't necessarily the focus, but I, I thought it was pretty impressive. So you've pretty much been working fairly steadily. And well, of course, now with uh, Census Fail, which we'll get into in a little bit. But, you know, that's pretty remarkable because a lot of drummers and a lot of band members, and especially at that time, while there were some great bands that, definitely defined that era very few of them continued on you know you've worked with some uh, pretty prolific acts throughout those years so i don't know like what do you really contribute to your longevity as a performer it's weird because on paper it looks like it's been consistent but there have definitely been you know months or years of inactivity you know what i mean it, and it mostly transpired when the band went on hiatus and I think that had a lot to do with the change in life because I had been in Poison the Well for such a long time that suddenly it was like, okay, well, we're going to go on inactive hiatus because we feel like we've reached a certain point and it's time to put it down for a while. So I think that there was a year or two period where, you know, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say I was depressed, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. Yeah, I wanted to continue to play drums. I didn't know how I was going to do it and how it was going to happen. It was way more undetermined 
and the road was way more darker than say it was you know prior 10 12 years of touring but i guess this ties into what the the question that you just asked was the reason why i was able to kind of continue is because i really really care about you know when poison stopped being a full-time band and just kind of went on that hiatus and the more i sort of sort of dipping my toe into other avenues the way less passionate i felt about those avenues and the more that the sort of the grind from you know nine to five it, it not only was it just not appealing to me but it was repellent like i just couldn't i just felt like i couldn't function in that you know what i mean so it's just the, I think overall it was just the love of music, the love of playing drums, and also the idea that I, I knew that I could do it. It would just require a change of scenery, a change of attitude, a change of the way I looked at things, because obviously the industry has been changing for a very long time. It's plateaued, clearly, you know. I think that there's, you know, going to be another shift happening, because right now it's like, you know, everything goes through the streaming. If you buy a physical copy of uh, an album, it's going to be vinyl. You know, no one really buys CDs. And if they do, it's such a negligible percentage. You know, at some point there might be, I don't want to say the resurgence of money back into this industry, but I feel like it might regain some sort of footing of some sort. Yeah, it's just, it, I think more so it was just kind of understanding where I was at and what was happening and like, yeah, I wanted to do this, but how was I going to do it? Okay. Well, let me systematically start going through and doing the things that I need to do, need to do to continue. Obviously being in poison well helped, but I wasn't going to, be able to continue that in florida so you know either going to nashville new york or or southern california was going to be my best bet and i've always loved california so moving out here was very much advantageous for me to do everything that i've done so far you know like playing with big black delta playing with census phil because you know uh, the singer buddy doesn't live in jersey anymore he relocated out here two or three years ago so if I wasn't out here, that would have never came about, you know, nor is like the Black Queen stuff or, you know, recently I picked up a, a gig with Danny Harrison, uh, George Harrison's son, you know, oh, what wow. I mean? I'm going to be playing a few shows with him. That would have never happened if I would have never joined Big Black Delta because that's how I met him, you know, and that's how he knew who I was, you know what I mean? So like right. the big change was actually coming from like leaving my environment, knowing that eh, nothing's really going to happen in Florida. I got to start adapting to what's happening right now, or I'm just going to become a dinosaur. And I'm, I'm fortunate in that regard because I, my mom is a very progressive woman, you know, always trying to better herself in one way or another. And I just think through osmosis, I picked it up as a child because <laughs> I always have this energy of just like, I want to be doing better. Like I want to eat better and I, I want to take care of myself, and my drumming. And I have it on a slightly less potent scale, but I, I have it nonetheless, which I think is another thing that I attribute to like wanting to do it because I just feel this very strong, passionate desire to play. What do I need to do? Do I need to do this? Ah, this sucks, but you know what? I'll do it because I'm trying to look at the long term opposed to the short term and put my ego aside, have some humility and, uh, and just do what I need to do. Right. And, and I think that's an important message for a lot of people. And, you know, like, especially when you mentioned the way music seems to be going. It is a little unfortunate because it has changed so much from what it was, but maybe that's just me being slightly more hopeful and not as cynical as I could be. But, you know, I feel like it could happen, but maybe not in the same way. But I, I do feel that something that kind of leading into what I want to talk to you about is trying to find a way to revitalize touring as a necessity and not just from a band's perspective, but for also like a concert goer's perspective, because, you know, especially out here, um, you know, thinking back on home in Jersey, it seems like on a fairly regular basis, I'm reading uh, publications about 
so many venues that have shut down or have closed or some that have been in the process of closing, but, but then mm-hmm. got saved in a zero hour. So what I really wanted to get into is your story in terms of the struggles, but also some of like the success stories being a musician that tours, you know, seeing how the landscape is now versus what it was back, you know, maybe when you started Poison a Well. I mean, the ironic part is that the landscape now from a financial level, I've, you know, I'm making the most amount of money that I've ever made now as being sort of more of a hired musician opposed to a band member. Now, it's obviously not necessarily about that, of course, but when you reach a certain age, your priorities shift and you start thinking about the future and you start thinking about retirement and buying a house. So, you know, I consider myself really fortunate to have uh, progressed in that regard. In terms of, like, being able to continue to do it on a non-financial level, I think it's more diversification because, yeah, I mean, I do music, but I also do a plethora of other things. And there's other things sort of on the horizon that aren't really necessarily music related that I'm, I'm doing. And I think especially in 2017, you have to do multiple things. You can't just have one job anymore. You have to know how to do a bunch of different things in different avenues. So, you know, I have a friend that owns a building and he's turning it into sort of one of those office leasing spaces. And eventually he's going to want me to manage it. So he's going to train me to be the manager, which will probably pay a lot of good money. And then I have another friend that, that deals with like a, like a trademark law, you know what I mean? And protecting the trademark stuff out there, not just music or movies or anything, but just the general trademark of different clients. He's going to sort of train me to be the guy that does that. You know what I mean? On top of being a, a partner in a business with four other guys that maybe every few years we play a few shows, and, you know, do, do well. And then being a hired musician for, you know, bands like Census Fail or Danny or Big Black Delta, where I'm not necessarily like an actual member of the band. I'm just technically an employee, you know? So it's just the diversification of what you do that, that will allow you to sort of maintain what you do and potentially do better. Because I feel like if you put all your eggs in one basket, you're just asking to be crippled at any moment if something happens. So could you really see there being any career for touring musicians and musicians in general? With all that said, could that still happen or, you know, is it still viable? Yeah, of course. I think it's still viable. It just depends what you want to do. If you want to be integ- if you want to be super idealistic and play with bands that you only like, then you might have a very difficult time doing that. But if you're more open-minded to being like, yeah, I want to play with bands that I like, but then I'm also going to play with bands that not necessarily musically are my thing, but I have fun people i travel with or i work with are really great people i get paid well and you could find the redeeming qualities in what you do then yeah you'll have way more success in the long run i like playing drums Uh, it doesn't matter if i don't really like the music of the band because i've worked for a few bands and i'm just it's just not my thing but i love playing drums so much and i can appreciate it and i can understand from the point of view of that band if they're tracking songs or writing a record or whatever of where they're coming from, understanding the architecture of their music, that I could find appreciation in that. And I think that's also something that allows me to just do whatever. Like some pop country band called me and was like, hey, we want you on audition and we'll pay you like five grand a week to do it. Do I listen to pop country? No. Well, you know what? I'd probably get on that stage every night and play knowing that I'm going to garner a certain wage and the people I'm probably working for, you know, nice people and it's a good deal and it's not just singular. It has to be like multiple facets that you, you look at. Your question, isn't it, is it attainable? Yes, I think it's very attainable. I just think that you have to be open-minded and be willing to do what it takes because, you know, it's either you adapt or you die. 
And also, I didn't think of it also from a creative standpoint, for playing so many different bands with that comes different styles of music. And like you said, you may not necessarily be a huge fan of that style of music, but you'd still do play because you love playing the drums. But then that does change up how you normally play. So do you find that to be any particular challenge at all? I mean, for the most part, all the stuff that I play is under the rock umbrella. So it's either, you know, rock, pop rock, punk, hardcore, metal. I understand the architecture for all those genres of music. And if you work with a band long enough, you start to understand the nuances in their songwriting. So, you know, say with Census Fail, like when Census Fail does stuff, I understand the architecture. I understand what was laid before me. I understand the liberties I can take in writing something new. So it's easier for me to go in and understand, okay, well, this is kind of how it always was done in the past for trying to do something similar to that. Then I understand the steps that need to happen to make that happen. You know what I mean? Right. Whereas if I start working with another band, I can kind of just listen to the music and start hearing the nuances and think, okay, that's cool. Maybe I could do that, you know, or maybe I can integrate this or integrate that into what I do. So it's more of like a chameleon's perspective, not necessarily stylistically, because every drummer plays the way they play and their feel is their feel and their sense of musicality is their sense. But you could always just, like I said, you could co-opt little bits and pieces here and there that you can put in that sort of reminiscent of that style or of that band. Right. And I think that was also really interesting working with Census Fail. And while, you know, you say you may not necessarily be a full-time member, but you did work on, you know, the album Pull the Thorns from Your Heart. That album was great because now knowing you from your work with Poison Well and then taking that into um, Census Fail, it's like, that's actually a really awesome marriage. But I did hear that they are going to be um, recording uh, this summer for the new album. So are you involved in that at all? Or is it just the one album? No, I'm going to be involved with that. Buddy's already sent me some songs that he's going to want me to sort of uh, put drums to and, you know, or kind of, because uh, usually sometimes when you get demos, there's already drums you know, kind of take what's there and, and understand what he's trying to do and what he's trying to accomplish. And, and then I just interject myself, interject my two cents into it, and then take it from there. But yeah, I'm going to be involved with this next record, which would be cool. It's it's more of a throwback to their prior style. It's less heavy. I mean, there are elements more akin to their uh, more popular records, like Still Searching and uh, Let Me Fold You. But it's not going to be that. It's just going to sort of be of that particular style, like, you know, pop punk, you know, pop rockish sort of vibe. I've never really done that straight up. So it'll be kind of interesting to um, see how I play my ideas of what the drum should sound like for that, how they kind of, how it comes across, you know what I mean? Right. It is kind of interesting how it's sort of come full circle, especially since uh, a lot of bands who were popular at that time, you know, were getting to, you know, past a decade removed from a lot of it. So, you know, there has been a, a resurgence and you know, a little bit of a nostalgia for that time. So it is kind of interesting to see, you know, bands who maybe hadn't been around who have returned for maybe album tours or even, like I said, in the case of Census Fail, who will be returning to that particular style. So, I mean, that's actually pretty cool for uh, a lot of reasons, but do you feel that that's going to be uh, a challenge at all, or do you think that should be uh, pretty easy going as far as uh, doing the drums for that? No, but that's the thing. It's like anything that falls under the pop umbrella, you can really understand how the song structure is going to go for the most part, you know? And I understand how the band should sound. I also understand how I sound as a player. So it's really easy for me to sort of take a look back and be like, okay, well, I need to incorporate these elements into the architecture of the song to make it census failish. But I can also interject myself into it. So it's like a marriage of stylistically in the past what the band was, but also very 
modern sounding and kind of a different point of view. Now, obviously, whether people enjoy it or not is a whole other thing, but I know from my point of view, having an analytical mind, that I've thought about this for a while and I, I've kind of have like a mental checklist of sort of things that I want to accomplish with this in two categories. There's the, my personal category, like, okay, I want it to have A, B, C, and D. And then the overall perspective of what I want to accomplish with it, making it sound like the heyday of the band, which obviously was not me drumming, you know, oh, right. <laughs> but understanding like the nuance that is involved with that within the drumming department. You know what I mean? Since you learn how to play these songs, like since I've learned how to play all the uh, older material for different tours, you know, whether it's, you know, 10th anniversary or 15th anniversary or random bits, like I understand how Dan plays. I understand his approach because of that, you know, and I could kind of take the bits and pieces that are integral to make those songs sound the way they need to sound and then just co-opt them into my point of view. I know that uh, Poison the Well had then kind of resurfaced, uh, I believe it was last year, year before last, in Jersey for a couple of shows. Are there any plans to formally reunite, or is that still kind of in the air? No, there's no plans. We all have other things going on in our lives. Everybody else has different priorities. And, uh, you know, we wanted to play some shows, and the shows went really, really great. And it was a really good note to kind of leave off for now, you know. We did well, and we were well-received, and I think that we, for the most part, we played pretty good. but. There's really no, there's no plans of a record. There's no plans of, of any of that. We're just kind of, if, you know, in the future, a year or two from now, we kind of feel it necessary to kind of get back together and do some shit, then, you know, we'll do it. If not, then we won't, you know, we're, we're kind of lucky in the regard that our band is, sort of has a, a bit of staying power so that if we wanted to do shows two or three years from now, I think it'd be well received. You know, we're not, we're not going to be selling out 5,000 seat theaters, but I think we'll, we'll always be able to do, you know, two to five to, you know, six, seven hundred kids in, in certain markets and the shows be awesome and fun. I'm sure it doesn't maybe work for everybody, but the ability to be like, look, I mean, we've ended things on, on pretty decent terms, but should we come to a point where we want to play together, we can. Mm-hmm. And I, I think to have that sort of freedom, I'd imagine must be uh, a pretty liberating in, in a regard because, you know, not every band can do that. You know, there's some who either they can't play for whatever reason or it, it just doesn't plan out that way. So I think that's actually pretty cool that you guys can at least uh, be comfortable to say, okay, we're going to play for this particular time and then that's it. And then we can go on to our own endeavors. Yeah, no, totally. There's a certain level of freedom involved with that. And I personally am lucky to be involved with two bands that have that freedom since Phil has that freedom and Poison the Well has that freedom. I mean, it'd be cool to do a new record. It'd be cool to play some more shows, but only if it kind of works for everybody and it makes sense. You know, we're not going to put out something that we don't feel good about. And then on top of it, you know, if we can't play shows for personal reasons or work reasons, then there's no obligation to do so. And, and I think that, you know, it seems like when things are scarce, that's when people kind of want things more. So, you know, you go out, you play a few shows, you know, you play well, hopefully kids take to it and then you go away for a little bit. There's no oversaturation. There's also the dynamic of age. To be, you know, completely blunt about it, you know, you guys aren't kids anymore. Like, this mm-hmm. isn't, you know, maybe back, you know, like I said, 10, 15, 20 years ago, where it might have been much easier. And, you know, people have families, people have obligations, and you're just in a different mindset. 100%. Yeah, I mean, the priorities kind of change. And because they change, everybody's just in a different point. You can't really operate like we did when we were in our 20s. You know, we're are in our mid to late 30s now. Priorities change, you know. So if we could fit it in, we will. Hopefully kids will show up. If not, then, you know then it is what it is, you know? Right. I will say, though, that a lot of bands I've noticed, at least on a local level, it's much more difficult to do, let's say, like, a full length, 
you know, I've noticed obviously singles have returned, mm-hmm. so have EPs and things like that. So it would be kind of interesting to see if maybe you can return because I know you did do the three EPs um after Tropic Rot. Yeah. I hope for the future that maybe uh, the next time you guys are out to be able to see some shows. And I'm also looking very forward to the Census Fail material because, like I said, I do think you're a great addition to that band. And cool. Thank you. Speaking of longevity, I mean, personally, I didn't necessarily see that happening for a lot of, you know, like I said, there was a lot of bands during that era that have come and gone. And it's great to see them do it. It's great to see, you know, even Taking Back Sunday continue and also bring in some uh, new talent. They've been touring uh, with this one band out of Jersey, uh, Modern Chemistry, mm-hmm. that are just remarkable. And I think, and I don't know if you would agree to this, is that for bands who maybe have been coming on in years, do you feel that it's, I don't know necessarily a responsibility, but maybe a, a little bit of a duty to then take what you know to then help maybe like the next crop of bands that come after you? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously there's bands that resonate then it makes sense to sort of to do that, you know? The only reason why I ask is I know there are some that feel that when their time is up, their time is up. And I always do find it uh, at least a little heartwarming, for lack of a better term, to see that, you know, they've taken their experiences and then will kind of impart that onto whoever's coming up afterwards. Because mm-hmm. I, I think it is cool to see that that cycle will continue in some regards on a creative level. I can definitely see that. But I, I also think that's somewhat natural if, say, the upcoming bands are influenced by you know, those sort of veteran bands, there's going to be that, that's going to be there. You know what I mean? I don't necessarily think that taking the band on tour, doing that, like you should do that if you're into it and for cool. But I think that if you do something really cool, interesting, or do something that's popular, it's going to just kind of, it's just going to transfer down. You know what I mean? Right. So to close out then, in addition to Since This Fail, um, are there any other projects that you're working on that you would like to mention or you have coming down the pipeline? No, I mean, just going to do the Census Fail record probably start doing some heavy touring you know in the not too distant future on the record obviously uh you know then i have a show a few shows with danny harrison and kind of whatever happens with that because i think he's trying to do a new record or something like that so i mean i'm sure he'll have some stuff so i'm just going to try to keep busy between both those things very cool chris thank you so much for taking the time out and again i i'd love to see you pick your brain more about the poison of well stuff so um hopefully if you ever have time well in between touring of course i would love to talk more about that because again i never thought about it much during the time but wow you guys really did influence me a lot and while i don't particularly play at least just your approach to not only drumming and also just your approach to music in general kind of taught me a lot about not doing things in a very standard way. So before we head out again, I just want to say thank you for all that you've done and uh, best of luck with Census Veil. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Anytime before we go, if there are any other social networking sites or any websites that you want to mention before we go, uh, feel free to do so. Yeah. I mean, uh, anybody, you know, interested in, in my kind of history and records I've played on and all that sort of stuff, they can go to uh, com. And then, uh, you know, social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram, Chris underscore Hornbrook and Facebook, you know, Chris Hornbrook. I have a, I have a page up, you know, like a, a band musician page. And then I also have a, a YouTube channel, uh, Christopher Hornbrook. So, you know, if you're interested in anything I do or just kind of want to check it out, just go to any of those handles. That'll do it for this episode of Adrian Has Issues, and we will see you next issue.
Thank you for listening to Adrian Has Issues. Please be sure to visit adrianhasissues.com to stream or download our other great episodes. Like us on Facebook at Adrian Has Issues, on Instagram at Adrian Has Issues Pod, and follow us on Twitter at Adrian Has Issues. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the Satchel Podcast app, available on iOS and Android. Adrian Has Issues is a proud member of the Nerdsloth Network, home to such great podcasts as Nerds on Tap, Cinefreak Critique, and Saturday Morning Cartoon Boom. Visit them at nerdsloth.com.